Welcome to Soundprints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Soundprints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Soundprints for the week of August 20, 2017. First, we'd like to take this chance to say a huge thanks to all of our sponsors for the 2017 KSB Alumni Conference and Reunion. Our individual contributors were Green Sponsors, $10, Michelle Haycraft, New Albany, Indiana, Carolyn Kearney, Frankfurt, Debbie Dethridge, Joe Kuzwara, Linda Kuzwara, Jonathan McCarty, Kendall Perry, and Donna Wheeler from Louisville. White $25 sponsors were Jim Clifford from Columbia City, Indiana, Emma Gary from Clarksville, Dorothy Goff from Southport, North Carolina, Tim Moore from Frankfurt, Elsie Stanley from Indianapolis, Deborah Trevino from New York, Delaware, and Vera Berry, Kevin Cobb, the Cox family, Lynn and Otis Florence, Billy and Laura Myers, Paula Penrod, Ed and Beth Phillips, Susan Robertson, Elaine Weisbard, Ronnie White, and Ben Wright from Louisville. Red $50 sponsors were Wanda Biggs from Jeffersonville, Oral Miller from Washington, D.C., Joan Ballot, Daryl Buford, Joey and Natalie Couch, Gary Mudd, Jennifer Pearl, and Deanna Scoggins from Louisville. Blue $100 sponsors were Tom Lutz from Bardstown, Peggy Peak from Melissa, Texas, Eric Stam from Seymour, Tennessee, Cloyd Oaks, Linda Oaks, Adam Rushevel, and Carla Rushevel from Louisville. Our two major donors this year were Louisville Downtown Lions Club and the Lula Dotson Legacy. The total raised from sponsorships far exceeded our past record. A huge thanks to all. ACB Families has been a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind for nearly 40 years. The affiliate this week announced a new telephone support group initiative that can help parents and families across the country find answers to questions and share tips for dealing with the challenges of everyday life. Ron Brooks, Vice President of Families, shares details of this new initiative on page 2. He'll also tell you how you can join families and be entered into our holiday drawing for some great prizes. Michael Hudson from the APH Museum presented a very interesting program entitled KSB Secrets, 10 Things You Didn't Know About the Kentucky School for the Blind at our alumni conference and reunion. Whether you attended KSB or not, we think you'll enjoy Mike's well-researched remarks. Listen on page 3. And on page 4 is the Sound Prince calendar. Page 2. Ron Brooks is from Phoenix, Arizona. He is the chair of the ACB Board of Publications, but today he's wearing a different hat. He's also vice president of ACB Families, and Ron, we welcome you to Soundprints. Hello, Carla. Tell us first about ACB Families. What is it? Some people know about it, but a lot of people don't, so let's introduce ACB Families, and then let's talk about a new initiative from the group. Great. ACB Families is a special interest affiliate of the ACB, American Council of the Blind, and what we are really there to do is to represent and promote the concerns and interests of people who live in families that experience blindness or visual impairment. Of course, if you have a visual impairment or if you're blind, you live in a blind family. Whether you're the parent or the child or the grandparent. So, really, 
any family that uh, a member of ACB lives in uh, is a family that we represent or that we seek to represent. So we, our whole purpose is to share information, provide support, uh, plan activities for our members that really promote uh, the interest and, and concerns of families uh, who have blindness or visual impairment. Okay. And you have, you yourself have three children, teenagers now? Yes, almost. Uh, we have three children. Uh, one is uh, 14, one is 13, and we have a younger daughter who's 11. So we're right in those years of uh, high school, middle school, upper elementary, lots going on every day. <laughs> well, that is the understatement. <laughs> if you have just one in that age bracket, you've got a lot going on. With three, I just I can't imagine three at one time. So that in itself is a, is a real feat, I think. Ron, ACB Families has a new, a new monthly program going, and we think that a lot of people are going to find this really useful. So you just um, made the announcement earlier this week of this new program, so uh, tell us about it and how people that are listening to Soundprints can get involved. We have a... Well, let me just back up. One of the issues that any family or any parent or grandparent especially experiences is how to handle certain situations. Um, and these are typical for any, any parent or any grandparent. Maybe it's the first time you have to do something like uh, you know, change a diaper or administer medicine or deal with a play date or manage homework. So as a blind parent or a blind grandparent, these things are all still there, but there's an added dimension of how do you do that if you have blindness or a visual impairment because it might be different. So families have always struggled some with just where to get information. Uh, you're probably not going to get it from your mother-in-law or your cousin down you know, in the next town over. So what we want to do is create a place where folks in uh, ACB families and our friends, and you don't have to be a member, um, can come together to share information, ask questions, and provide support, you know, moral support, um, and just ideas. So starting this month on August 27th, we are going to have a call where people can call in uh, to a phone number and just talk to each other. Uh, it'll be a moderated or facilitated call with our president, Leslie Tom, uh, who is also a parent, a grandparent herself. And the real purpose is just for people to call in, introduce themselves, meet each other, and talk about the things they deal with on a daily basis. And, you know, for a new parent, it might be those those things I mentioned earlier, administering medicine, um, how to deal with diaper changes, how to match clothes, um, how to handle transportation. You know, for somebody who has a kid who's a little older, 
or a grandkid who's a little older. It might be homework, or it might be dealing with play dates or how to deal with correspondence from the school. Uh, for someone else, it might be uh, something entirely different. So this is really a chance to be in a safe place and talk about the stuff you're dealing with in your family at your house. And this is something we plan to do monthly uh, because these things change. Uh, I can tell you right now the things I deal with this month are different than the ones I dealt with last month. And I'm sure that by next month, um, our kids will come up with some new things for us to think about. This is in addition to all the stuff that ACB Families already does. We have a Facebook page. We have an email list that people can use to communicate uh, a lot of the same things. Uh, but there's no replacement for the human voice. So this is a chance for people to uh, you know, get straight to a conversation and not have to wait through the delays that are created by technology. ACB Families does other activities at our conference uh, in July, so you know, our goal is to really be in better contact with our members and our families uh, throughout the year and not just at convention time and not just on a bi-monthly conference call. Let's talk a little bit about those other things, the convention activities and the bi-monthly calls that we have been doing uh, for the past several years on a variety of topics so that we can give people a complete look at what the what the affiliate has been doing and what we will continue to do that what we're doing with this peer with this family support call is not replacing anything it's in addition to what we've already been doing so let's talk about those uh, bi-monthly calls just a little bit yes that's right so the monthly calls that's new um, we still have bi-monthly calls these are typically on the second Sunday of every other month. Uh, the next one will be on uh, September 10th, I believe. And the purpose of those calls is to provide information on a specific topic. We usually arrange a speaker uh, who comes onto the call and makes a presentation, answers questions, and usually sparks lots of discussion. Topics are pretty varied, but the general focus is anything that helps you and your family uh, live a more complete, full, uh, successful life as a family. So for example, uh, we typically every year around holiday time have a call on uh, accessible gift giving ideas. After all, you're in a family with blindness or visual impairment, you want to give gifts at the holiday season that work for the people that you're trying to give them to. Uh, in January, when everybody else is thinking about uh, all the money that they spent and all the money they now need to save or the taxes they have to figure out, so are we. So we have somebody on our call who comes and gives uh, a financial presentation, personal finance of some sort. And that could be anything from tax preparation to uh, investment planning to how to make a budget. We also do a call every year uh, in advance of the ACB conference and convention for families because when you're traveling to a conference with a family, the issues are different. Uh, money is probably really critical. What to do with your kids is really critical. Um, and how to have a good time on a budget is really critical. So we talk about those things. We also talk about and usually have a presentation from the folks who are going to run ACB's Kids Explorers Club, which is a club that meets uh, every day 
uh, or most of the days during convention uh, with planned activities for kids between ages 6 and 13 so that when you're in the conference having a good time, they can be in the conference having a good time as well, doing things that are appropriate and safe for them. So we really have a variety of programs and activities. And in the fall, beginning now and running through October 31, we have a membership drive. So let's talk about that. Yes, we do. Um, so our affiliate is growing, uh, and we want to continue to grow. Uh, and so we are encouraging people to join us um, or to renew their membership uh, with a drawing. Uh, so if folks uh, register as a member or renew their membership between now and October 31st, they will be entered into a drawing for two uh, $50 gift cards. Uh, that's a great way to get a start on your holiday shopping or your holiday feast or whatever uh, traditions your family has. Um, I can tell you in our family it's going to pay us back for all the Halloween candy we give out um, and that we uh, eat. So. Um, you know, this is just a, a fun little way to encourage people to join the affiliate. Uh, yeah, our goal is to get you to join, uh, and so we use this drawing to do that. Our goal is to get you to stay. We use our programs, our activities, and the support we provide to do that. It's a, it's a really great affiliate, and I really like the, the fact that it has something for for everybody whether it's a whether you have a, a kids at home or not um, there's there's always something that is is helpful um, I may not have kids at home or grandkids at home but they may come over and visit um, nice thing about grand grandkids is you know you can always send them home with the parents that's that's wonderful but but um, there's there's a lot of issues I went over to uh, Lexington, Kentucky at the end of July and talked to their peer support group um, over there. And it was on the topic of taking care of providing child care for kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, whatever. And I asked the question at the beginning if, A, there was anyone in the room that that did these things, and there were quite a few people who responded. And then I said, is, is there anyone here who has encountered the questions from people who wonder if you're capable of doing these things? Can you provide the child care, whether it be from a relative that isn't too sure you can do it, or if it's from a doctor or a social worker or whomever, and you know, I had quite a few responded, that responded to that. And so you know, these are issues that face us all, whether we are directly involved or if we're advocates for people who have, who have kids. And then sometimes there's the other end of the spectrum as well. But, um, but Families is a great group. It really provides a lot of activities. At the convention, we have a breakfast each year with an interesting topic. This year, Jeff and Leslie, Tom, and their daughter, Andy, talked about um, hosting foreign exchange students, and they've done it a lot in their house. Um, and these students are, of course, high school kids, and um, they, and, and Jeff and Leslie, as blind parents, 
are um, providing a great service for uh, these kids from other places, but there, it's also an opportunity for a lot of people to see the capabilities that, that yeah. blind and visually impaired people have. Well, I think that's a great point because the other side of this are parents who maybe do not have blindness as a disability or maybe they have uh, no disability at all, but their children are blind or visually impaired. And one of the challenges that parents who discover that they have a blind or visually impaired child is, is that they maybe have had no exposure at any time ever to blind adults or what blind adults are able to do or the alternative techniques that blind or visually impaired folks can use uh, to live successful lives. So one of the things ACB Families wants to do is to encourage parents of blind or visually impaired children to join the affiliate. Those folks, I think, can benefit from seeing successful blind and visually impaired adults and, and folks who are raising their kids. But I also think that ACB families and the folks of us who are blind parents, we can benefit as well because um, in many cases we do not have blind or visually impaired kids. Uh, my kids are normally sighted. They deal with all the issues that everybody else deals with in the way that they deal with them. And so I'm not as expert as a parent who has a blind or visually impaired child in some of the things that they have to go through on a daily basis, especially in the areas of dealing with schools, dealing with educators uh, about blindness and visual impairment. So I think that having a broad representation of parents uh, and uh, you know, parents who are blind or parents who are not blind, I think benefits both groups. It helps us to all understand each other better uh, and to be able to uh, give each other a better perspective that will help all of us do a better job with our families. So, you know, this is something that we really want to focus on in the year to come is how to encourage more families where the parents might not have a disability, but the kids do, uh, to join us so that we can learn from each other. And, of course, that brings up other important questions, and uh, that, that can apply to both blind parents or to uh, sighted parents with blind kids is is the IEP process, a lot of the school questions and so on. Now, the blind parent of a sighted child may or may not be involved in some of those IEPs because blind parents, like anybody else, sometimes have kids with other disabilities that, um, that require an IEP or maybe a 504 process or whatever. And so those questions are are important as well and Ron we could have something on the IEP process probably every month and still not answer all the questions and meet all the frustrations but um, but there's there's so much it's such a broad spectrum with a with a sighted parent of a blind child when it's a little bitty child what 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 kind of toys do I buy and, and that's where the accessible things come into play if it's an older child what kind of what kind of things what kind of activities can they enjoy and do and do uh, do blind kids participate in and sometimes that answer is pretty much whatever other kids will too but they may need to do it with adaptations sighted right. parents that haven't been through that don't know how to 
help their kids, and sometimes they don't know what expectations they should have of their children. Right, right. That's exactly the kind of interaction that I think our group can help uh, to improve is to better inform all of us on what we can expect from our kids and how we can best support them. And I think this also helps to, you know, even those parents who are grandparents uh, because a lot of times you know, they face many of the same challenges and more and oh, more yeah. grandparents are you know, involved in the right. raising of their kids, their grandkids. Absolutely. Let's give the phone number for our peer support call. It is 712-432-3900. And the code is when when it when a conference line answers, if if you are thinking of participating and you've never done a conference call, when the line answers, you'll be asked for a code for your call. And the code for this call is 796096. And when you enter that code, then you press the pound key, and the system then will let you enter the call. And again, that call is Sunday, August 27th. And the call begins at 9 p.m. Eastern, which is 6 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Hawaii time. And we'll be on for an hour, hour and a half. And I suspect that we'll find plenty of things to talk about. I think we will, too. Hey, thank you for being with us today on Soundprints. We really me. appreciate it and hope that um, many people will join us. Dues and ACB families are $8 a year. And there are a number of different ways that those dues can be paid. Uh, we will be posting information online uh, as to all the different ways that you can pay dues. Also, if you have questions or need more information, come to, come to our, our call and we'll be happy to share with you. Thanks, Ron. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Page three. Well, good morning, everybody. I think we're going to go ahead and get started. This morning we have Mike Hudson from the American Printing House for the Blind. And uh, Mike, you say you've been there 10, 12 years now? 12 years. And I, I think the Printing House was very lucky because when they started the museum there, they had a lady named Carol Toby who was really good at going out and finding things uh, just all over the country and bringing them in as a matter of cataloging them and, and cleaning them and organizing them, cataloging them, but she didn't really have time to use them. And so when Mike came in, he said, let's use them. And so as you all know, most of you, we've had a lot of nice programs over the years and tours and so on and so forth, but Today, Mike's going to talk to us uh, a little bit about the history of the Kentucky School for the Blind because this is, of course, our 175th anniversary year this past year. And uh, I think he has some interesting little tidbits that, um, you know, we, you, you may be surprised to learn about. So, Mike, thank you very much for coming, and I'm interested. <laughs> Thank you very much, Adam, and uh, good morning. And uh, it's, I, I look out there and I see a lot of familiar faces. Some I see every day, like Farmer back there, yeah. And uh, some of you I just get to see every now and then when you come to a program, and, and I appreciate that. Um, 
Uh, and I see, by the way, you all are seated, that we have some Baptists and we have some Presbyterians. So uh, about, uh, I guess, uh, one of my favorite things we've done this year was the, the 175th anniversary banquet. That was a lot of fun and a pretty special night, and I hope as many of you as possible were able to be there. And uh, after we got done with that, Adam came and said, hey, why don't you come to uh, the alumni meeting this year? And, uh, and so I'm like, sure, what do you want me to do? And, and he's like, well, why don't you do something like, oh, 10 things that, that people don't know about KSB. So I thought that, at the, at the, I agreed immediately, I thought that sounded pretty easy, but as I was putting my talk together this week, I started thinking about the fact that there probably aren't 10 things that Adam doesn't know about KSP. So then I started sweating a little bit, right? I got to really dig deep and get some real good obscure stuff. Um, but then I just relaxed and said, heck, uh, somebody will be there that doesn't know some of this stuff. So anyways, here we go. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk for about 30 minutes. And then we'll, if there's any questions you ever had about KSP, we'll put our collective minds together and try and answer them for you. So here's my first one. Okay, so who founded the Kentucky School for the Blind? So Bryce and Otis Patton, right, were originally from Maine. And they grew up near a town called Brunswick on the Atlantic coast, about 27 miles from Portland, Maine. Bryce went to Bowden College in Brunswick. He graduated in 1837. And his brother, Otis, who was blind, went to the Perkins School for the Blind about 140 miles away in Boston. And soon after he graduated, Bryce moved to Covington, Kentucky, and taught at the Covington Female Seminary. In 1839, he moved here to Louisville, and he opened the Louisville Collegiate Institute. And he wrote to his brother Otis in July of 1839, while Otis was still at Perkins, that he had started teaching a small class of blind students in his apartment in Louisville for a few hours every night, but that, quote, I hardly know as yet what I shall do with them, unquote. And he also commented that, quote, there's much vice in this place, but little regard is paid to the Sabbath and the institutions of the Bible. Bryce was a little bit of a Puritan. His plan was to attract his brother Otis to Louisville to do most of the actual teaching. Now, of Otis Patton, Dr. Samuel Howe, who was the superintendent at Perkins, had written in 1936, quote, he's a fine, intelligent lad, learns well, behaves still better, and will, I doubt not, turn out to be a bright, practical lad. But Patton, uh, Bryce Patton's immediate plans fell through. He was too busy teaching at the Collegiate Institute, and there was just no money to pay any other teachers. But in a letter in January 1840 to Dr. Howe, he asked that if things were to change for the better in the next six to eight months, would Otis be, quote, prepared to take charge of an infant establishment? And as Otis remembered later, on the 12th of October, 1840, I landed in Louisville, inexperienced and a, ch and a stranger, but with a purpose in my breast to establish an institution for the blind. So as it stood in 1840, Otis, the blind guy, was going to head the new school. And in fact, in 1841, when the brothers exhibited a few of their students to the Kentucky legislature, hoping to get a state charter, it was Otis who led the ex exhibition. 
But on May 9, 1842, when Sarah Clark showed up as the first student in the first class at KSB, it was Bryce Patton, the sighted guy, who was listed as the school superintendent, and Otis was the teacher. But Otis did go on later to become the first head of the Arkansas School for the Blind in 1859. So my second thing, did you know that KSB used to own its own railroad? There we go. I'm up on you by one. On April 10, 1844, the Kentucky General Assembly incorporated the Louisville and Portland Railroad with the School for the Blind as its beneficiary. Now, the Louisville and Portland was initially a branch line off the Lexington and Ohio Railroad, and it ran between Portland down on the Ohio River and Louisville. It was built in 1838, but it didn't operate long because of loud complaints over noise and pollution from its primitive steam locomotives. And by 1842, it was being used as a street railway system with passenger cars being pulled by teams of mules. And as I said, in 1844, that charter was turned over to the Kentucky School for the Blind. Now, it never really made a lot of money, but for years, the school would every year sell a load or two of iron rails and scrap metal, and they had a company that operated the streetcars that made them a little bit of money, and they used that to help build the new school building out on Frankfurt Avenue in the 1850s. My third question, who was the architect of the main building at KSB. Not the one that's standing now, but the one they tore down in 1967. You know, Adam? Well, we used to attribute it to Thompson. There you go. Okay, so let's explore that a little bit. So fire destroyed the main building at KSB down on Broadway on September 29, 1851. There had been a long drought that summer, and when fire broke out in the attic, there was no water to fight the fire. So they just stood around and watched it burn. Now, instead of rebuilding downtown, the school decided to move out to the eastern fringe of the city in farm country on the Frankfurt and Shelbyville Turnpike. They moved into that new building, which was a big five-story structure with decorative cupolas up on the roof in October 1855. And there's still one of the cupolas standing on the grounds at KSB. You've probably been in it. And that building was often called the Costigan Building, after architect Francis Costigan. But my predecessor at APH that uh, Adam mentioned, Carol Toby, uncovered evidence that was actually designed by architect Elias Williams. So which story is true? Like many stories that surround an old building, both stories are kind of true. <laughs> Bryce Patton, needed a building plan to present to the governor and the legislature. And in the KSB records, it appears that these plans were prepared by Elias Williams, with a lot of input from Patton himself. Now, Elias Williams designed a number of important buildings in Louisville, the best known example being the old Customs House on West Liberty, built in 1858. The plans to the new building at KSB were heavily inspired by the design of the Indiana School for the Blind in Indianapolis, which was designed in 1847 by Francis Costigan. And after the plans drawn up by Williams were approved, 
Patton hired Francis Costigan to prepare working plans and then to supervise the construction. And Francis Costigan made a number of changes in Elias Williams' plans to save costs. He decreased the thickness of the brick walls, he eliminated a lot of the fancy stonework, and he picked out cheaper stone in some other areas. So who was the building's architect? I guess we can say the answer is complicated. Um, by the way, the main building at KSB was torn down in 1967 and replaced by a whole series of buildings under the leadership of Will Evans in the 1970s. So my fourth question, was KSB used as a hospital during the Civil War? Yes, it was. Very good. After the Civil War between the North and the South broke out in 1861, Kentucky initially tried to declare itself neutral. It was a slave-owning state, but its commercial ties went both North and South, and any war would would surely be fought out on Kentucky soil. But the neutrality was a dumb idea. It quickly dissolved, and troops from both sides occupied important Kentucky cities. The Kentucky legislature voted to remain in the Union, and Louisville became the great port and arsenal of the Western Union armies. In 1862, Confederate General Braxton Bragg invaded Kentucky with a large force. A panic swept Louisville as the authorities scrambled to prepare to defend the city. And for a few weeks that summer, the grounds and buildings at KSB were used to house soldiers. But by the time school started that fall of 1862, the soldiers were gone and school resumed normally, although the grounds had been badly damaged and all the fences had been chopped up for firewood. Now Bragg never really threatened Louisville. His campaign culminated in a big battle down in Perryville in October 1863, in 1862. And wounded men from that and other battles began flooding into Louisville. The two chief Union medical officers in Louisville, Doctors Head and Doctors Goldsmith, um, by the way, if you ever go uh, to Vips, it's over on Goldsmith Lane. It's named after Dr. Goldsmith. Uh, Doctors Head and Doctors Goldsmith, they seized KSB grounds and, and building as a military hospital and ordered the staff and students out of the building. Now, actually, they'd been wanting to seize the school much earlier, but then been unable to get the War Department to approve it. And according to Bryce Patton, writing in the annual report, uh, the, the teachers at the school received less than 24 hours notice that they had to get out. Somehow the KSB located a house in Cherokee Park on the grounds of the cemetery today, and 20 students were loaded into wagons and carried over there that very day. Now the board at KSB was packed with prominent unionists, and their letters and telegrams of protest could be heard all the way to Washington. Once the wounded men uh, had been cared for, they were able to force the Army doctors out, but it was the summer of 1863 before all the hospital furniture and supplies were finally removed. Number five, why did Superintendent Bryce Patton leave? This is the good one. So Bryce Patton resigned from his position as superintendent of the Kentucky Institution for the Education of the Blind sometime in the summer of 1871. In the school annual report that year, Patton was not thanked or even acknowledged for his role as the school's founder or his nearly 30 years of service. 
Hmm. And there's a story behind that startling omission. Patton had married his first wife, Mary Earle, in 1851, and she died five years later. He remained unmarried for the next 14 years, and that's where it gets interesting. In the 1868 annual report, KSB had a new student, Josephine B. Burns from Indiana. There were two students from Indiana going to KSB that year and one from Alabama. In the 1869 annual report, the next year, KSB hired a new staff member. Josie B. Burns became the school's new teacher of gymnastics and calisthenics. And Patton noted in his report that year that, quote, the system of musical gymnastics, which has been practiced in this school the last few years, cannot be too highly commended. The improvement of the pupils in health, vigor, endurance, attention, self-possession, ease and grace of movement, quickness and clearness of perception and cheerfulness has more than equaled our highest expectations. While an important advantage, which we did not anticipate, has recently given new value to this admirable system. It has secured to some of the pupils positions of usefulness as teachers of gymnastics. Certainly, it secured a job for Miss Josie B. Burns. And in the 1870 annual report, there was a name change. Miss Burns had become the new wife of the now 56-year-old Bryce Patton. And there began the scandal. The Cincinnati Commercial reported in January 1872 that, quote, after it was discovered that he had hurried Miss Josie Burns away and married her, but a short time before the birth of a child, the determination to remove him was fixed. Now, in his defense, it should be noted that Bryce and Josie Patton raised three children together after moving away to Iowa, but Bryce never worked in education again. Perhaps in the end, his brother Otis would have been the better choice after all. Number six. Did you know that black and white students were once taught in separate buildings? Yes. From the time that KSB was founded in 1842 until 1884, if you were African American, you were not allowed to attend KSB. In 1884, William Bullock, the man who wrote Kentucky's public school law in 1838 and the original KSB charter in 1842, got a bill passed in the Kentucky legislature creating, quote, a colored department at KSB. It was happening all over the South, where segregation was the law of the land. All of the schools for the blind in the South, almost all of them had separate department for African-American students. Now, by law in those days, a school for black children could not be closer than 200 feet to a school for white children. And so the new building for the color department at KSB was built exactly 200 feet away from the main building at KSB. And the new building was pretty nice looking. It was, it was designed by the same fellow who designed our first building at APH, a guy named Charles Clark. Now there are a lot of interesting stories about the color department, but my favorite is about its principal between 1908 and 1912, Faustin Saluk Delaney. What a great name, huh? Faustin Saluk. 
His father, Martin Delaney, is considered the founder of the black nationalist movement in the United States. And he named all of his children after prominent black leaders. Faustin Saluk was the emperor of Haiti. Now, Faustin Delaney graduated from Wilberforce University in 1878, became a teacher at first Lincoln University in Missouri, later a professor of mathematics at Wilberforce, and uh, in the early 20th century, he was principal of the Louisville Colored Girls High School, and that's where he was hired to come to KSB in 1908. Now, incidentally, after uh, the Supreme Court ruled that segregated education was unconstitutional in 1954, KSB, under the leadership of Paul Langan, quietly and painlessly desegregated the very next year, 1955. At first, the African-American kids made that 200-foot walk over from their building to the main building for class, but in 1956, they moved into the dorms like they had always been there. Of course, the story for desegregation in Louisville schools, public schools, was much different and much less painless. Number seven, did you know that KSB athletic teams used to compete against sighted teams? Very good. So KSB has experimented with a number of different physical education methods, usually whatever was fashionable in sighted schools. As noted before in the story about Miss Burns, they tried a system of musical gymnastics in the 1860s, and around the same time they bought a bunch of roller skates and taught the kids to skate around the halls of the school. That must have been a fun sight. In 1881, they introduced the Dr. D.O. Lewis system of gymnastics. And by 1900, they had hired a guy named John D. Gregory as a handicraft teacher, shop teacher, supervising the boys in the broom and carpentry shops. But Gregory turned out to be much more than a shop teacher. In short order, he had organized two baseball nines, a track and field team, and a football 11 that had them playing against teams from sighted schools and winning. And their success was reported in newspapers as far away as New York and London. The annual report that year noted that, quote, the opportunities thus afford our boys of measuring themselves with seeing students of their own age in their sports and games and have developed a sense of manliness, of self-reliance, of unity and action, of loyalty to one another and to the school, and it has been to them genuine sport and play." Unquote. Now, my boss, Gary Mudd, would not want me to pass beyond this point without noting that his high school wrestling team at KSB won the boys' state championship in 1966. He's pretty proud of that. Number eight, how long did Superintendent B.B. Huntoon work at KSB before he received his first raise? B.B. Huntoon was the school's second superintendent. He replaced Bryce Patton. And he served from 1871 to 1912 before he quit because the state wanted him to implement a new accounting system that he had no patience for. <laughs> Now, Huntoon became an influential national leader and spokesman, but that's not what I want to talk about. He worked from 1871 to 1909 before he received his first raise. 38 years in a row, he worked for $125 a month. Now, he did live on campus. His 
Lodging was free. All, he ate in the dining hall. All his meals were free, but still, 38 years without a raise. Woo! Number nine. Is the Boy Scout troop at KSB the first troop of blind boys in the U.S.? Yes is the answer. The National Boy Scouts of America were founded in 1910 in New York. The movement had actually begun a few years before that with the publication of Robert Baden-Powell's book, Scouting for Boys. Baden-Powell was a British soldier who was famous for his defense of a town in South Africa during the Boer Wars. His book immediately caught the imagination of boys in both Great Britain and U.S. It combined lessons about camping, observation, deduction, woodcraft, boating, life-saving, patriotism, and chivalry. And you got to wear a really cool uniform that was patterned after the British military kit from South Africa. The first troop in Kentucky was organized in Frankfurt in 1909 before BSA was even uh, founded. Uh, they were under the British Boy Scouts. Troop 10 at KSB was organized in 1911. And in 1912, the boys got to meet Lord Baden-Powell himself. He had come on a visit to Louisville. And on February 22, 1912, the boys demonstrated their scout craft down at the Louisville Armory in front of Lord Baden-Powell. Now, for years and years, the troop's scoutmaster was a music teacher at KSB, Samuel Ritchie. And as near as we know it, it was the first troop organized completely out of boys that were blind in the U.S. Now, ladies, don't worry. They organized a chapter of the Campfire Girls that same year, and all the girls got to sew their own uniforms. And a Girl Scout troop was founded in 1923. Number 10, who are the most famous people to graduate from KSB that none of you have ever heard of? <laughs> you should have come to my program last Saturday. So, of course, we're talking about the famous Mac and Bob. Yeah, come on, Susan, geez. So we're talking about Mac and Bob. You guys have never heard of Mac and Bob unless you came to my program on Saturday. So Lester McFarlane and Robert Gardner met at KSB in 1915. Bob was from Gray in Knott County. He was 18. Mac was from Oliver Springs, Tennessee, but he had some relative in Clark County, and that's how he got to go to KSB. He was 13. They became good pals. And by 1922, they were both living in Knoxville, trying to make their living as musicians. With Bob on guitar and Mac on the mandolin, they were the first country duo to innovate a close two-part harmony style, what music historians call the brother style. The school is one of the most significant in the country. It was the, only the sixth school for the blind to be created, only the third state-supported school to be created. And so you have a lot of reason to be very proud of your alma mater, it's a very significant place, and uh, I've really enjoyed learning more about your history this year and your 175th anniversary. Page 4. The Sound Prince Calendar. On August 23, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will hold its peer support group meeting for August 
From noon to 2 p.m. at the Bluegrass Council Office, 1093 South Broadway in Lexington. RSVP at least two days in advance at 859-259-1834. August 24, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold a support group meeting from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries. The program will be presented by the American Printing House for the Blind. They will have a number of items to demonstrate, from bald line paper to video magnifiers. Be sure and attend this interesting session and tell others about it as well. On August 25, GLCB will hold another roundabout with education and technology from 3.30 to 5, discussion time including page turners from 5 to 6, page turners is a chance to share interesting books that you've read with others and get some ideas for new books to read for yourself, dinner $5 per person will be at 6 p.m., followed by games, crafts, and music trivia from 7 to 10. At United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville, sign up by calling 502-895-4598. On August 26, KCB Next Generations Chapter will sponsor a dine-out from 9.30 until noon at Toast on Market, 620 East Market Street in Louisville. Brunch for visually impaired people. The chapter is for 40 and under, but everyone is invited to attend the dine-out. Information, text Amanda Selm at 502-750-1774 or email Amanda at alsmoot, S-M-O-O-T-87, at gmail.com or you can call 502-895-4598. Please RSVP by Friday, August 25. Also on August 26th, there will be another Bards and Storytellers at the American Printing House for the Blind. 1 to 3 p.m. Join APH Museum for a program featuring internationally famous champion fiddler Michael Cleveland, who made his debut on the Grand Ole Opry in 1993. Michael has played on cruises around the world. He's visited Europe. He's also played across the United States. And he's won nine Bluegrass Fiddler of the Year awards from the International Bluegrass Music Association. Guitarist Brian Allen will accompany Michael Cleveland. Brian attended the Indiana School for the Blind. Call the APH Museum at 899-2213 to sign up for this activity. On August 27, ACB families will have a peer support group network call. It will be at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. This is an opportunity to discuss anything about being a blind, visually impaired, or sighted parent, grandparent, or guardian raising a blind, visually impaired, or sighted child. Bring your questions and comments. The call-in number is 712-432-3900 and the code is 796096. On August 28, Guide Dog Users of Kentuckyana will have their membership conference call at 7 p.m., Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. 
August 29 is the rescheduled Tri-State Library Users Conference Call concerning reading on Kindle books. Learn more about using the Kindle app with VoiceOver to access millions of books on your iPhone and iPad. We'll also talk about reading them on the Alexa Echo Dot or Tap. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On September 1, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout will include education and technology from 3.30 to 5 p.m., a cooking activity and discussion from 5 to 6, dinner 6 to 7, including ice cream sundaes, and games and crafts from 7 until 10. At the United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville, sign up by calling 502-895-4598. On September 3, the Greater Louisville Council will have its committee meetings, including the Advocacy Committee at 7 p.m. and the Education, Activities, and Technology EAT Committee at 8 p.m. Both will be held on the conference line at 605-475-6006, code 294444. On September 5, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have a conference call meeting at 8 p.m. on the conference line. This is great for those who have been experiencing vision loss or who have had vision loss for several years. September 7 is the American Council of Blind Lions monthly conference call This is an opportunity for blind lions from around the country to share ideas and ways to be involved in local clubs. It's at 9 p.m. Eastern, and the phone number is 712-432-3900. The code is 796096. On September 8 is another Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout, and this time there will be bingo after dinner. Call 895-4598 to sign up or for more information. On September 9, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Board will meet at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the conference line at 605-475-6006, code 294444. On September 10, KCB Next Generation will hold its meeting. This is for members under 40, and it will be held at 8 p.m. Eastern Time at 605-475-6006, intercode 294444. On September 13, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, SAVVY, will hold its picnic. This is the Owensboro chapter of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Its meeting is from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time at the East Shelter at Legion Park in Owensboro. Reservations are required by September 11. Call 270-684-4418. Please note that there will be no regular meeting on September 12 at Wing Avenue Baptist Church. On September 13, KCB will have its PR Membership Committee meeting at 8 p.m. by conference call 605-475-6006. Enter code 294444. September 14 is the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision Support Group Meeting from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at the United Crescent Hill Ministries. 
Call 502-895-4598 for more information. September 14, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have its meeting at 7 p.m. by phone at 605-475-4700, enter code 155-619. For more information about the Northern Kentucky Council, call 859-781-7369. September 15, Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout and Fall Quarterly Meeting. Education and technology activities will begin at 3.30. Registration and bargain table at 4.45. Program, dinner, and business meeting beginning at 5.15. All activities will conclude by 8.30 p.m. $5 per person at United Crescent Hill Ministries. Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. Looking ahead to November... The Kentucky Council of the Blind will hold its state convention November 17 and 18 at the Ramada Inn, 1041 Zorn Avenue in Louisville. Room rates are $80 a night plus tax for up to four people in the room. And you can make reservations by calling 502-897-5101. We'll be bringing you further information about registration and program in future sound prints. December 2 is the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Christmas Party. Make plans to attend this great annual event beginning at 4.30 in the afternoon at United Crescent Hill Ministries. On December 3, the American Council of the Blind will hold its 5th annual ACB Radio Holiday Auction. We'll be bringing you more details, but plan now to tune in to ACB Radio for lots of fun, great auction prizes, and much more. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.